What is going on, OWS fam? Sharp Football Analysis Nation. We are back for another Searching for Ceiling Week 13 edition. I was just talking with Rich before we started about how my Sunday went. Basically, was the most tilt I have ever felt playing DFS. I legitimately came off the 555 Millimaker nuts uh, because Friendsgiving got in the way and I went to the store and tinkered with my damn roster, uh, which was awesome, not. Uh, anyway, yeah, the the beauty, the magic of Stefan, or no, sorry, Gabe Davis, of Josh Allen, of Derek Henry, of Kyron Williams, of Pat Fryermuth. Yes, I preached all week to play Patty F and came off of him. Anyway, we turn the page. We're on to week 13. And I can feel it in my bones that we are getting close to this Millie Maker. And I'm going to keep fighting and shooting and taking my shots. So with that, welcome back to Searching for Ceiling, Week 13 edition. One week season. So your week went a little bit different. Why don't you tell us how your week went, Rich? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the thing. We rolled Thanksgiving over, had another you know top five finish, but didn't just quite get there without. Jeez. I didn't have Rasheed Rice. I wasn't on Rasheed Rice last week, and that's kind of like the one piece that I was I was missing. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about the show. We I, I we talked about the show building. My, I was literally starting with Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, Devontae Smith, and Stephon Diggs. That's how I was starting my builds, and that's what we were gonna build around. Uh, we got there. Luckily, that game was hot. We have another hot Eagles game this week. Yes, sir. What, what would you say your ratio of successful roster tinkering has been over the years? Probably, uh, it, if it can go negative, which it can't, like it would be that. Like, <laughs> and it's so dumb, dude. Like, oh my god, I was sitting on it. I went to bed all fat, dumb, and happy. Like, hell yeah, this is it, man. Because you're so good at then... the mental side of the game, and it's just you know, like you have that. It's just like every person's been a victim of it, man. Literally, god, all dude. of us. All of us have been there. So bad. So bad. Anyway, we turn the page, man. And I feel like you and I have been legit like circling the drain here uh, for a major ship. Um, and hopefully oh, we get there. Hopefully we help some listeners get there. Uh, let's talk about week 13, man. Shall we? Excited, man. Yeah, this is a throwback slate for me. Like this reminds me yeah. of like I, I, I've said it on a show. It reminds me of like 2018, 2019, like slate where you have like team jam them in man it's a team jam them in slate i think we've got cheap pieces that kind of play but it reminds you of like hey i'm gonna get antonio brown and i'm either playing like cmc david johnson yeah. todd Gurley, and like we're gonna start here and i'm just gonna take what those guys give me and we're gonna just see what my like jabronis give me around the rest of my lineup <laughs> there are some jabronis but there are, there some are projectable jabronis. there are some projectable jabronis so uh let's talk about it a little yeah, bit we don't and, just and, have a blind jabroni darts we, we at no. least give a reason yeah we need to have like some legitimate reason to play these jabrones but anyway um oh god i didn't even have it pulled up let's look at the slate real quick um we've got some value and we've got some interesting game environments going down We've got the Colts and the Titans with a 42 and a half game total. The, well, actually, I won't say the, because there's a couple potential games, hashtag game of the week here. Uh, but the Miami Dolphins taking on the Washington Commanders, who obviously just fired Jack Del Rio. They fired their defensive pass game coordinator uh, and bring in a former Buffalo Bills assistant uh, coach on the defensive side of the ball. He was the secondary coach, bringing him in on a, limited basis whatever that means i don't know he's in the building uh game total of 49 and a half the chargers and the patriots gross 40 uh we've got the broncos and the texans 47 and a half this is an interesting one to talk about we'll get into mm -hmm. that here shortly 
the bottom feeder Cardinals uh, road dogs against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 41.0. The Lions and the Saints, 46 and a half. Some interesting injuries to talk about for the Saints that we will do here shortly as well. The Falcons and the Jets, look at that. My goodness, 33 and a half. The Panthers and the Buccaneers, 36 and a half. And the hashtag second potential game of the week. The 49ers traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles, 47 and a half. This feels low to me, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Rounding out the slate, the Browns and the Rams at 40 and a half. Initial reactions, Rich, what are we thinking about this slate? Yeah, not again, another slate with uh, very few games that have competent teams on both sides that we believe are going to push each other, right? Um, yeah, that's kind of again, it's been like kind of the theme of this season. You know, we've got definitely 49ers, Eagles, looks fire again. We've got the Broncos, Texans, which very intriguing matchup all around, like you kind of hinted at. And then the rest are kind of like, all right. We've got Chargers, Patriots. We've got the Lions, Saints. Maybe could have potentially been like a a, a weird game that could have gotten yeah. fun. But I think with the injuries and the rest advantage and everything going on with the Saints, it's hard to like objectively like them. That line feels low to me. I feel like Lions minus four is like a smash. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Like you know, I'm not so much like the the, the full like game line better. So don't you know if you don't you don't have to tail me on anything like that. But it feels like extremely low given everything going on in that game. Like Falcons, Jets. Like you said, like oh my god, everyone that wanted Zach. Wilson not to play like it still can get worse guys it can still get worse it can it actually can get worse oh man uh yeah I mean there's like Cardinal Steelers could maybe be potentially ugly fun but like there's a lot of stuff like Joe Flacco's playing football again this weekend yeah a lot going on man let's I think go we always talk about like kind of the the meta construction of this slate and like what it's going to look like and how people are going to start building their lineups. And I think that's probably the, the biggest kind of like inflection point spots we have on this slate. Like, yeah, we don't have a lot of front end quarterbacks with like high, super high ceilings, right? Like we've got Tua and we've got Jalen Hurts. And like anytime you have a slate like that, it's like, is it more advantageous to pay down and hope one of those guys fail? Uh, same thing at tight end. Like we've got Kittle as kind of like a potential slate breaker, but like his salary doesn't get you access to kind of the other, like I hinted at team jam amends, like the Tyree. Yeah. Like, so do we just pay down and almost punt and just hope Kittle fails? Like there's all these different things. Like I think we start though, and not to steer the ship completely, but like dolphins commanders and how you handle the Miami dolphins, I think is literally going to be like how you build your rosters. Yeah. And along with that, I mean, Tyreek, we know is going to garner ownership. We know it's completely warranted. We know that Zach Moss is going to be the highest owned player of the season. Season. Uh, yeah. Of the season. He's up there <laughs> around 50, 55%, depending on where you look. Small field contest could be even more than that. So yep. um, that kind of gives you a good idea of what the field is seeing and where the field is starting their roster construction because the value and, and the savings and salary of a guy like Zach Moss allows you to comfortably play uh, a guy like Tyreek Hill. Where you go from there, as you alluded to, is kind of is kind of the main decision point on the slate, I feel like. And the fact that we don't have pay up running backs, really. I mean, we have Christian McCaffrey on the slate, but he is priced as the highest player on the slate or on the jeez, uh, I got this all messed up uh, price at the highest um, of the running backs on the slate. And He's in a matchup against the team allowing the fewest fantasy points per game to running backs. So where does the field want to allocate the rest of their salary? 
you mentioned tight end. It's basically George Kittle and bust. I mean, you look at the tight end salaries. It's like I can play George Kittle for 600 more than Sam Laporta. Yeah, sign me up for Kittle in that scenario. But the overall gist there is we're not really expecting people to go out of their way to pay up for quarterbacks or pay up for tight end or pay up for running backs this week, which kind of presents this like roster funnel. And it also makes it so it's not that hard to do something different. So we'll talk about that. That is definitely the theme of this slate, the main inflection point. So from that discussion, how are you handling roster construction overall? Like, are you looking to pay up for another player in addition to Tyree Kill? We're not fading Tyree Kill, right? Like, <laughs> we're not doing that this week. How are you handling that? Yeah, I mean, you look at, at, at Tyreek Hill. I mean, well, first of all, just from a top-down perspective, the Miami Dolphins, the league's most explosive offense, is facing the most the 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 defense allowing the most explosive pass plays in the yeah. NFL. I mean, uh, Miami's number one in the NFL in pass plays of fifteen or more yards. Washington's allowed the most pass plays of fifteen or more yards. Miami scored the most touchdowns outside of the red zone in the NFL. Guess who's allowed the most touchdowns outside of the red zone by like by several it's uh the commanders obviously we'll see they fired jack del rio does that matter someone was yeah. going to fall on that sword eventually before we got to ron uh which is which is probably coming inevitably but like this defense just doesn't have the pieces to defend this miami offense the only thing better is that this game would be in miami right but like it doesn't even matter because washington at home uh is 0-4-1 against the spread at home they're allowing their 31st in the nfl in points allowed per drive at home remember uh Touchdown Tommy DeVito put up 31 on them two weeks yeah. ago. I know Isaiah Simmons had a little piece of that. But, I mean, we saw, like, what if the Giants put up 31 on you in your own crib, like, what are the Dolphins going to do? <laughs> yeah. And then Tyreek's having this just a massively historic season, right? Like, I almost feel like his season is almost underrated. Like, we're almost underselling, like, how yeah. great. Like, he, he just, like, is casually going for, like, 9, 9-102 last week in a touchdown. And you're like, eh, eh. Yeah. <laughs> against the against a team that, like yeah against a team that literally had allowed two touchdowns to wide receiver the yeah. entire season um yeah. the most receiving yards ever through 11 games in a season since 1961 uh just everything everything if you watch if you and, and if you just watch the commanders for the first time last thanksgiving like you saw like that's their defense that's like what they've put on the field consistently the entire season so uh yeah. do you so do you get unique do people get the Tua with Tyreek? Do you get to Waddle paired on to Tyreek? Because this is still a very thin target tree. And when you look at structurally the defenses that Washington plays, I mean, Jalen Waddle has absolutely cooked those types of coverages. I mean, Washington is a top 10 defense in rate of cover one and in quarters. Uh, the Jets are another team. Uh, they Jets lead the NFL in, in rate of quarters coverage. And we saw Waddle have one of his game, high spike games of the year going over 100 yards last week. I and mean, he's averaging a team high 3.9 yards per out run against quarters coverage. He's averaging over three yards per out run against cover one. So, like, do you get unique by doing doubles? Uh, there's just a lot of avenues in how you handle the Miami Dolphin side of this because that's where, like, you want to go and you want to start and focus on handling that side of it first. I have a question, and I'll preface it with a discussion. Um, we know that Jack Del Rio being fired, we look at this commander's defense that was playing man coverage at a top 10 rate around 30, 31%. Um, knowing who Ron Rivera is seeing what he did in Carolina, because he had a very similar situation happen in Carolina where he fired or the team fired their defensive coordinator through what, six weeks, uh, four years ago, something like that. Um, and he took over 
that Carolina Panthers defense was playing top 10 rates of man. And we saw this trickle effect after Ron Rivera took over where he started playing more zone and he started introducing more unique blitz packages from zone. So I kind of expect that to happen for the commanders moving forward, but to completely overhaul a defense in a week with three practices is not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So whether or not like this defense performs better moving forward is really irrelevant this week. That said, I do expect some defensive tendencies to shift a little bit for Ron Rivera's defense, um, probably most likely to come in the form of more cover three and more cover two. The issue with that, again, on a with three practices under their belt this week, is those defensive alignments and structures require a lot of communication. And so that does not, for me, really necessarily lower the splash play potential for these Dolphins, especially considering they're the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel is a mad genius. So with that all known, and under that umbrella of that discussion of Jalen Waddle against some ten defensive tendencies mm -hmm. we've seen, could this be a situation where we're like, let's just play Tyree Kill? Or um, are you looking to maybe play something like Raheem Mostert and Tyree Kill without Tua? Uh, are, are there any other interesting avenues with the uncertainties from Washington's defense is what I'm getting at. And not a lot of teams are brave enough to play a lot of man coverage versus the Dolphins anyways. And that's inherent because they're just yeah. faster than everybody. So they do not see it because like Tyreek is averaging over six yards per route run yeah. against you cover. Like you just don't, but like he, you know, we're talking like a sample of like 40 some routes because you just don't get, you just don't put your hand in the cookie jar very often yeah. uh, when you know you're just, you, he's the fastest player on the field. <laughs> so it's interesting. I'm waiting on the backfield news, right? Like I just want to see who's up. I think uh, we still yeah. don't really know if A-Chan's going to play or not, but obviously those guys can be added on. We've seen that in all these big blowout games, because this could be a game where I think, and you never want to just say like a team is going to score 50 points. They're not like, you just say, but like, this is a game where like the Dolphins, like, Unless they don't have turnovers, like they're going to score a lot of points in this game. Uh, so the running backs can definitely come along for the ride because they're utilized heavily by design, you know, when they get close to the end zone. And, and not just in the run game, you see like all of this orbit motion stuff, like they're running while running back passes off of those a lot. Uh, we yeah. see Mostert score several, uh, several times. He's got a few receiving touchdowns off of those. Ahmed has one. Uh, who's not playing this game. So I'm just waiting to see who's up for the Dolphins, but I definitely will be sprinkling in, sprinkling in some Dolphins, uh, you know, running backs into onslaughts and smaller field stuff. Absolutely. And it's not the situation where we talk about trying to get leverage here. Like I don't think there's is getting leverage on Tyreek right in this spot. Yeah. I think it's more just how you like, you know, can Waddle also come along for the ride? How much can the running backs get as part of the ride as well? Yeah, I like that shout. Um, getting some intel that a Chan is in per Mike McDaniel. Uh, so that is something to consider as well. We've seen over the last six weeks or so from this backfield that Raheem Mostert is not going to be asked to play more than 60-65% of the offensive snaps. Right. Now, the last two games, he's still put up 24 and 20, I think 20, uh, running back opportunities on that workload. Um, so that's still highly valuable in this spot. Um, we talked about the explosive plays allowed from this Washington commander's defense through the air. They've also been giving it up on the ground a little bit. So um, 
some interesting potential there. I don't know if I'll get to a Chan. Um, it's looking like more of a single entry three max type week for me uh, personally. Um, so I don't know if I'll get to a Chan in, under my single entry three max umbrella. I think he must be considered in MME play this week for sure. Yeah, he's not going to be side. highly rostered. So he's not not like a yeah. guy like if in small field, like if he ends up popping off, I don't think he's going to end up being really popular anyways because of just what happened a couple weeks ago. And, you know, people and people waiting kind of like to see, like it's a wait and see kind of thing. So, yeah, 100%. So small field, I think even if he pops off, he's probably not going to kill you. Concur. On the other side of that game, we have some interesting tendencies that we've seen from Washington's offense, uh, primarily coming through, obviously, our offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. They started the season on historic rate for sacks taken. And when you look at how they were handling their offense, a lot of it was due to the fact that they kind of forced via their play design, they forced Sam Howell to kind of hold on to the ball longer than he should. And he already is kind of average, average-ish in pocket presence. We know he's an escapable quarterback. He's able to utilize his legs to prolong plays and escape the pocket. But their pass blocking up front has not been great. To combat that, knowing that they have the same pieces along their offensive line, Eric Bieniemy stopped running Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin like only on six to nine routes. He was running these guys deep. You look at their ADOTs over the first six weeks of the season, it was just massively deep, and that was all they were doing. Now, he's kind of transitioned this to a more quick-hit offense, and we've seen under pressure, I mean, I, the name on the screen, Curtis Samuel, when this team is expected to be under pressure, guys like Curtis Samuel, guys um, that operate over the intermediate, short to intermediate areas of the field, we've seen it be Brian Robinson uh, three weeks ago, um, who had that 100-yard receiving game through the air. That is because this offense is now looking to manage their shortcomings of that offensive line. And they're doing so via design short, quick hits. Against a Miami defense that is generating pressure at a top five rate while blitzing below average about 21.6% of the time, to me, that kind of leads me back to Curtis Samuel. And I don't think it's point chasey. I don't think uh, you look at the similarities of the Miami defense and the Dallas defense, they're generating pressure um, at elite rates. So this could be another spot where you could bring back a Tyreek or a, if you're like diving fully into this game environment. If you're going like to a plus Tyreek plus Waddle, Curtis Samuel makes a lot of sense as a bring back as a piece that could see another, you know, pushing for double digit kind of target type game. Um, any read on that situation? Yeah, it's tough because we know they're going to throw a, a, a ton of passes, right? Like, yeah. Uh, Sam Howell's thrown over 40 passes in six straight games. Uh, he was already the first quarterback in franchise history to do it in five straight games uh, before last week. I think right now his actual line in books is his pass attempts are over. His, his line is set at 38 and a half with like 30 cents the juice the over. So, like, it, it, I mean, and, and we said we're anticipating Miami to score points in this game. So, like, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of volume here. Washington does kind of disperse it around more yeah. than we would like. It would be great if they were throwing the ball 40 times a game and it was like really thin target tree. 
Um, so it is kind of a little bit whack-a-mole since Jalen Ramsey came back. The Dolphins have been really good against opposing wide receivers too. They're actually allowing a lot, a league low nine and 9.4 yards per catch to wide receivers. Now their opponents during that span, not exactly the most daunting rogues gallery wide receivers. So this is a bet the best unit that they faced player with volume. So I do think there will be a target opportunity here. I don't think you have to force a run back because even when they scored yeah. 70 on the Broncos, no one, none of the Broncos got there. So, yeah. uh, you know, except for Marvin Mims on the kickoff return. Uh, so I don't think you have to force it, but like if you do, I mean, I think that you can make a, 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 a an argument for like just play like the cheapest guys, which would be Samuel and Dotson, and you just kind of let the chips fall where they may. But I don't think you have to force a run back here. Yep, I concur with that. It is worth discussing a little bit. Um, Terry McLaurin's recent stretch. Let me pull it back up on the screen here. Um, I mean, Terry McLaurin has one, two, three, four double-digit target games, um, and the team as a whole has seven double-digit target games. So he's seen four of the seven double-digit target games for Washington. We just talked about how his role has kind of shifted to more, a heavier rate of kind of the four to six routes. So those intermediate type routes. Um, so that is interesting. Yep. We got uh, Jalen Phillips uh, that got hurt uh, last week. Um, he is questionable, I believe. I don't know. He's, he's done. He's done till 20. He's done. He's done to 2024. What what was his injury? He had a torn Achilles. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's. Yeah, done. there's uh, a video from he... Hard Knocks. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Pretty pretty heartbreaking. You know, the player no. that was playing well. Uh, player that definitely was playing well. No, I had I had not seen that. Okay, well, unless he talks to Aaron Rodgers, he's probably out for the rest of the season. <laughs> uh, that, that's a joke, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so there's some avenues to playing this game environment diving full in i would not play I'll, I'll preface this discussion or i guess end this discussion with i would not play curtis samuel terry mclaurin logan thomas types um unless you're kind of buying into this game environment and you're making it kind of an, uh, a game over stack that's kind of where i'll leave that discussion i want to now bring us to the other game that i think we have to ensure that we talk about and that's the 49ers at the eagles and i'll just Throw it over to you. I want to hear your thoughts on the spot. <laughs> I mean, listen, the Eagles, they're just on this this just huge gauntlet of opponents. A lot of these games have been really fun, like the Cowboys game a couple weeks ago. Chiefs game was fine to watch. It didn't end up being super fun, but this Bills game the past week was uh, a lot of fun. We've already seen some of the unders get the under get touched because of weather stuff. You know, yeah. big, big, big weather is uh, you know going on. And, it, and I had a bunch of stuff in my chat on Sunday about the Eagles game and how I was handling it. And I was like, I'm handling it just as is, and, you know, because we were going to get some rain, but there was no wind or anything. So just keep an eye on that. Obviously there's yeah. no wind. There's an opportunity here to kind of have another game that could be just really fun. I mean, these games in Philadelphia now are averaging 59.4 combined points per game. It's the highest uh, point total in any stadium this season. Uh, they're just creating fun game environments. Obviously the 49ers, a lot is working in their favor here in this particular matchup. They have the huge rest advantage uh, by playing Thanksgiving. The Eagles went into basically a full overtime game on Sunday. Their defense yeah. was on the field for 92 snaps on Sunday. They lost another starting linebacker in Zach Cunningham, who I just checked as of 10 minutes ago, did not practice today. So I'm, I'm anticipating he will not be on the field either for Sunday. And the first player that, that jumps out to me in this game is the guy you hit it on because he's got that little red number one next to his name. Christian McCaffrey, we saw the Bills really attack the Philadelphia Eagles linebackers with James Cook in the passing game last week and even dropped yeah. a touchdown that should have been 
a touch uh, a touchdown. We saw the Chiefs a little bit. They gave 130 total yards to the Chiefs running backs, 170 total yards to the Buffalo running backs. People are going to see that little number one next to a $9,000 Christian McCaffrey and a $9,600 Christian McCaffrey on FanDuel, and they want to jam in Tyree Kill. But how many people are going to get the Tyree Kill and Christian McCaffrey? I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be a focal point of this game plan for the 49ers. Uh, even in that disaster last year that where they couldn't throw a forward pass, he had over 100 yards and a touchdown in that game. Uh, with N'Kobe Dean on IR, was Zach Cunningham expected to be out? Uh, man, it, it, it's an opportunity here, I think, for him to have a really strong game. I mean, McCaffrey's a guy who can get there on anyone, right? Like, it's the same thing with Jalen Hurts. Like, he can do it through touchdown equity. He can do it through rushing. He can do it through receiving. So there's a lot of ways yeah. for him to get here. I do kind of want to start my line of builds with Chris McCaffrey and Tyree Kill. That's like kind of where I want to start this week. Like that's why I said the throwback kind of slate of 2019, 2018. Yeah. I knew where I, you were going. <laughs> yeah, I, I do because I don't think a lot of people are going to get there because we do have a lot of really sound running back plays, uh, especially in like that nebulous 6K range, which I know because everyone's going to have Zach Moss, right? Every mm. you, Your grandma's playing Zach Moss this week. so <laughs> She's a fine uh, lady. She knows yeah. she knows DFS, man. I'll tell you what. Yeah, she she's been on. She she didn't cut Zach Moss when just because Jonathan Taylor came back. She she cut Ooh. Out there. Ooh, that's daggers to some people's hearts, man. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot to build around here in this game. But I just want to kick. I don't want to eat up all the shot clock here. I just want to say I think Christian McCaffrey is because he's interesting. He's probably going to be, and you think in context of Tyree Kill, anyways, just from pure, pure rostership. He's probably going to have what a ten to maybe fifteen percent delta, anyways, where he's going to like uh, Tyreek's going to be higher owned than Christian McCaffrey, at least, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I, the most important thing, and hopefully, I was trying to set that up because I, I knew where you were going with the CMC um, earlier, and that is a viable way to get unique on the slate because it's it's super uncomfortable to play two players that are priced above nine k. It is very very uncomfortable. In order to do so, we kind of have to have those projectable value pieces. Um, and I think that we we just might. We'll finish talking about that game. Then we'll talk about some potential where are those projectable value pieces coming from. Uh, but I want to talk about this game real quick. We also have a Philadelphia Eagles defense where their remaining linebackers are more like Outside linebacker slash edge slash they're good at getting after the quarterback. They are not good in coverage. So I love the CMC shout. But because this team is still able and capable of generating pressure, how does that affect the remaining pieces? Well, typically when we see a team with high pressure rates come and play the 49ers, we see George Kittle playing higher rates of inline snaps. We see his route participation rate go down and we see Debo Samuel as the guy that is kind of the more schemed usage guy. Similar setup last week where um, on Thanksgiving, Debo Samuel was kind of the, the primary like schemed usage type guy. I mean, we saw Brandon Ayuk who had just four targets. We saw George Kittle um, who had just five targets and then Debo Samuel hit uh, nine targets and got the rushing score. So. Is this a spot where you can load up on this game environment? Um, is this a spot where a guy like Brock Purdy, who is, I'm going to pull up the DraftKings lobby now. Um, a guy like Brock Purdy, who we should expect to have some level of success here. Um, is it a potential to kind of play it like this? 
And I know Debo Samuel has scored four touchdowns. Three of them have been rushing scores this year. Um, but does this carry enough upside for you in this spot? Uh, yeah, I mean, the 49ers are tricky anyways because just the volume, right? Like, that's always a team that's predicated on efficiency over volume. But that's what's intriguing about this matchup, right? I mean, you look at teams – the Eagles face the most pass attempts in the NFL per game. Brock Purdy's thrown over 31 passes one time, and that's because the th- passes he throws are so efficient, right? Like, yeah. Brock, Brock Purdy's efficiency hurts his value. Uh, when you only, you only have to throw 30 times and you're averaging 11 yards per pass attempt, you know, when, uh, when you're not pressured 9.4 yards per pass attempt overall. So he, he actually is the number one quarterback too, in, in pressure rate in the NFL, he's been pressured more than any quarterback in the league. And it still hasn't been like a hindrance to his performance so far. You yeah. can disrupt him a little bit. That's when his mistakes have happened is when he does play under pressure, but that's, you know, a lot of quarterbacks, right? Uh, when you get there, the 49ers have schemed around that and been successful, but it is one of those scenarios. Like, is this, could this be like a marriage where like this, there actually is volume with efficiency here? Like do the, do the 49ers have a, a a pass heavier script than normal? Uh, There is an opportunity here for that. And so we do get some value from these guys, obviously from like a matchup signal stance, Ayuk is the guy that still stands out the most based on what the Eagles do structurally, where they struggle. I mean, they've been flooded by outside wide receivers the entire season. Ayuk's second in the NFL in yards per outrun behind Tyree Kill, and we've just been waiting for him to get targets. I mean, he's he's four of his past five games had six or fewer targets. Like, we know he's an elite talent. We just need the volume. The Eagles also play a lot of man this year with with Jonathan Gannon going to Arizona. They're playing a lot more man coverage this year. They're seventh in the NFL. They dabble. And, and get creating pressure because they're trying to force turnovers, right? Because yeah. teams are driving on them and they're, and they're having a lot of uh, efficiency through the air in that sense. And then Ayuk, obviously we know, we talk about all the time when Ayuk gets man coverage, like he's the man beater on this offense. Like they, he, he, three of us, four touchdowns to come against man coverage over four yards per out run, all those things. And then um, like, it's just hard to pick out which guy, right? Like if you start with Purdy, it's just really hard. Yeah. You can make a case for all these guys. Uh, Kittle is probably the most interesting thing. Cause on the slate, like, do you, do you pay for Kittle? Cause you're like, all right, he's the potential to be like the slate breaker because he has a hammer over the field. Or do you do the inverse and say, Hey, I'm just going to punt it tight end because if Kittle fails, everyone's in the same boat as me. Yep. And the, the interesting point in that discussion is we're likelier to see the field kind of try and punt tight end this week. Um, and, I, I would expect, I haven't looked at ownership just yet, um, but I would expect that we see a lot of aggregate ownership on the kind of mid-range of tight ends. I mean, we have David Njoku at 4,100. Um, we have, oh, let me get off of this real quick. This mid-range, I mean, Pat Fryermuth is probably going to garner some interest after his blow-up spot last week. We have to remember that, I mean, the, if Pat Fryermuth has a very low frequency of going over 15, 16 fantasy points. Um, so do with that what you will. Trey McBride is probably going to gain some steam as well. David Njoku, we talked about. I mean, Tyler Higby, even with that red one next to his name, he's coming off of a two-touchdown game. So we're probably going to see some significant ownership in this mid-range. If that is inaccurate, somebody in the chat that has looked at ownership, uh, let me know. But that's kind of my feel on this slate. Um, Yeah, Juwan Johnson's going to be popular. Juwan Johnson. Is he really? Not popular, but uh, in in context of just like where tight ends are. I'm looking at projected ownership now. Projected ownership is is still as Kittle as the highest, and then Njoku, uh, Trey McBride, 
uh, Laporta. Yeah. But the, we're talking single digits still, like around 10% with like with like Friar Muth and Juan and this stuff. So we'll see where we are on Sunday morning. But right now, it doesn't look like any tight end is going to have ownership to the point where you need to care about ownership. Okay. That's good to know. I am more spread around. I'm devastated to hear about Jawan Johnson because he is a super sharp play this week. Uh, One of those spots where um, we talked about, I meant, or alluded to the fact that where are, do we have spots for projectable value? That is one of those spots. Um, Let's uh, let's go to that game. Shall we? Let's go to the new Orleans game. Uh, Well, real quick. Let's uh, let's finish up. Talk about the Eagles Eagles stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about the Eagles real quick. Um, Devontae Smith is interesting again to me in this spot. A.J. Brown very clearly is the alpha in this offense, but we know the 49ers are going to play a high rate of zone coverage. Um, A.J. Brown has been in the bonkers, absolute bonkers discussion um, against man this year. A little bit more muted production against zone, but he can still get it done. Um, What are you seeing from the other side of this game? Yeah, I mean, we're waiting to see. I mean, I I saw Goddard was trying to practice today. It sounded like the medical staff still wanted him to miss one more game. We'll see if he's up. Obviously, his involvement in the offense matters a lot because with Goddard off the field this season and going in and going into last year, we have almost a two-year sample of this happening. When Goddard's been off the field, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith account for 63% of the team targets. That means basically two of every three passes they throw are going to these two players. We absolutely yeah. love that. That's what we love. You can it, it's hard to build Hertz doubles this week given the context of the slate. But uh you, we are talking about probably a what a 5% or below ownership for AJ Brown this week. And like, we know he has slate breaking potential. He's like a, he's very intriguing where he's at because uh, he's faced three teams in a row that have been like some of the best teams in the league against opposing wide receiver ones the the, yeah. the past three weeks. Uh, now he's facing a 49ers team. That's 20th in points allowed per game to opposing wide receiver ones. The 49ers play uh, another team. They play a lot of quarters. I'm also curious to see like, what the 49ers do after what they did on Thanksgiving because they had some success having Charvarius Ward shadow DK Metcalf, another yep. physical wide receiver, and he played really well. His best game is a 49er easily on Thanksgiving if you watch Charvarius Ward. So are they going to feel conviction and saying, hey, he did it there. Let's run that back, and maybe we'll leave him in one-on-one coverage and we'll focus some more attention towards, you know, uh, rolling coverage to Devontae Smith. And if that happens, I still will take my chances with AJ Brown, you know, beating, you know, Tarvarius Ward. Also he's, he leads the team in, you know, percent of uh, targets and share of team air yards against cover three, cover four, the two coverages, the 49ers play the most. And we're talking like 60% of the air yards. So he's occupied a lot of that. So I do think AJ Brown in this particular slate at what I think is projected ownership is looking like right now becomes a very interesting piece because obviously if Goddard's out again, people will definitely just factor in, hey, I can just keep playing Devontae Smith because of his splits. And I'm not saying you can't either. Like I think Devontae Smith's yeah. a pretty solid play. I think the Eagles in particular in this game are going to get there through the passing component of this game. So both receivers, considering assuming Goddard's out, are going to be the guys. Like If the Eagles are going to score a lot of points in this game, I do believe it's going to be through Brown and Smith. Yep, I concur with that as well. Um, it gets very difficult uh, when we're talking about playing CMC. We're talking about playing uh, some of these other high-priced guys to fit them in, which makes it more interesting to me. Um, concur on that uh, discussion on the Eagles. I don't really have much to add, so I want to go over now and talk about New Orleans and Detroit because this game carries a healthy game total. We have Michael Thomas on injured reserve 
we have Rashid Shahid, who has a by something muscular in his leg. His quad, a quad injury. Quad injury. Yeah. So quad injury. He has yet to practice. Um, Nick Underhill, the primary beat reporter uh, for the Saints, took a shot on like Monday morning saying it is highly unlikely that Rashid Shahid plays this week. We yep. have Chris Olave, who is in the concussion protocol, practiced in a limited fashion both Wednesday and Thursday, but that very clearly indicates that he is not through um, or not into the final portion of the five-step process for gaining clearance. Um, so with that, it's like, who does this team have? It's like Keith Kirkwood. It has, it's A.T. Perry, who has played two professional games, um, obviously starting the year um, on the IR. Uh, we have... Like who else is going to be kind of there? Lynn Bowden, baby. He's back. Lynn Bowden is there. Um, <laughs> He's back. All that to say, knowing who Pete Carmichael is and how he is very good at scheming up an offense to attempt to maximize the talent that he has. The talent that he has this week is arguably Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, and Jawan Johnson. Hmm. So knowing that... I was like, I was pretty giddy be like, oh yeah, I'll let the field take shots on Lynn Bowden and A.T. Perry. Uh, Jawan Johnson is probably the top point per dollar play on paper uh, from this team. And he offers some salary relief. And then you crush my dreams by saying he's coming in owned with some, <laughs> some ownership. Um, but Taysom is very interesting. We have Taysom Hill who can do it all. He's going to play all over the field. Does he become kind of the point of emphasis of this offense do we see alvin Kamara have the upside he already has two 14 target games this season do we see him have the upside for extreme target shares um all that discussion though i think has to be taken in context and the context is this team sucks in the red zone <laughs> uh more specifically Derek carr sucks in the red zone so we're going to need touchdowns we can expect this team to play to a tight slash negative game environment type game based on their opponent. Um, we expect the Lions to put up some points. I know New Orleans defense is in the top half of the league. All that kind of con contextual stuff. Are there any spots to go here for some value? I think that's what it is. It's more of a value play. I, I want to try to get to Alvin Kamara because of just the, the potential of him having so many targets. And when you look at Alvin Kamara in losses, so that's where I think I start with this game breakdown first, right? And I kind of hinted yeah. at it earlier when I said, like, listen, I'm not a professional gambler. Don't tell me on it. But we've got this New Orleans Saints team that is just so bloodied up. Like, they've got so many key players missing. Say, Marshawn Lattimore is also not playing in this game. Yep. Uh, they are just – they're just down pieces. You've got this Detroit team that's coming off of this, like, a red-ass loss. They have a huge rest advantage by playing on Thanksgiving. The Saints at home are one of the worst home teams this year. They're 0-4 against the spread at home. They have not led at halftime in any home game this season. The only other team to do that is the New York Jets. Uh, they've just been a really bad team at home. I feel like this is a game where like the Lions are going to beat them up. And if you don't believe that the Saints can hang around in a game script stance, that injures a guy like Taysom Hill. I mean, Taysom Hill has two spike weeks. They came against the Colts and they came against the Bears, two teams where they just dominated game script. So yeah. if so, that's what makes it tricky for me getting to Taysom Hill this week is I inherently believe, looking at this game from an objective stance, that the that the, the Saints don't win this game. And if I don't believe the Saints don't win this game, it's hard for me to back Taysom Hill. 
right? Like I feel like that's the the avenue is you need the Saints to win. You need them to hold game script. Because he's not running any routes since Juwan Johnson came back. Uh, yeah. he, he only ran 35% of the uh, of dropbacks last week. He had the seven rush carries. But since Juwan Johnson's back, he's he's floating around that 30% route partition rate. Uh, Juwan Johnson, though, ran a route on 85% of the team dropbacks last week. So I believe the Saints are going to have to throw. He definitely stands out to me. We know he has touchdown equity. Uh, I want to get there on Kamara. Like you said, I'm worried about a little bit about the touchdown stuff with Kamara because if he doesn't yeah. score a touchdown. But I do think on DraftKings, he becomes an interesting play. I think on FanDuel, I'll be I'll be happy not having him in my player pool. DraftKings, he becomes interesting because if he catches 10 passes, like that is more makes up ground than a touchdown. And could he get like a, the bonus in receiving? Yeah. Uh, he's averaging a career high 6.8 catches already. Could he have a game where he gets double digit catches? Because in the two, you look at their two losses the past two weeks, he's had 76% of the backfield touches and 82% of the backfield touches. Those two weeks prior, when I said that they won the games, it controlled game script, you started to see a little more Jamal Williams later in the game. He only had yeah. 65% of the backfield touches and 65% of the backfield touches. So if I believe they're going to lose, I, I, I think he's going to be in the 80% range again this week. Uh, I do think that I probably like AT here a little more than you, but just as a large field dart because of where he gets his targets and how he got him in college, like yes. at his price, at his price, he can get there in like one play. So like, I do think that he's at least on the menu. I don't think he's necessarily one of the guys that you have to jam in, but I think he's in that bucket of guys that you look at like that 3k to 3,500 range on DK, or I think he's also sub 5k on FanDuel. I think he's below men. Which at and he's more of a FanDuel type of play anyway. I'm sorry, he's sub six, he's five seven because you don't have to worry about the receptions with him, right? Like one big play unlocks unlocks his game. So, um, and the Lions have been really bad. We've seen their secondary the past month be really kind of suspect. Their their cornerbacks have really not played well. They're giving up production to wide receivers. Thirty uh, first in touchdowns per game uh, the past five games to wide receivers. Uh, 25th in catch rate, 25th in yardage per game. So if you're hunting for a big play, I think he's at least on the menu. But Juwan Johnson, like you, is the guy I'm focused on. Yeah. I want to set the record straight real quick. A.T. Perry is a dog. Uh, he Where he was utilized in college um, aligns pretty well with this spot. I was, I mean, I don't know how often A.T. Perry was drafted in things like the best ball millionaire maker this year. Uh, I have shares of A.T. Perry in the BBM. Um, and he is on almost all of my taxi squads in Dynasty. So I like the dude. Um, I just don't know. It, what is his ownership, if you wouldn't mind, um, for A.T. Perry this week? Uh, let's see. I'll pull it up here. Uh, looking like around, like just like high nines. Okay. Right now so on not, a Friday more on a Friday afternoon, high, high 9%, like nine and a half percent. I think he is viable because I think he has the, and, and again, this goes into the discussion of like, what do we need from cheap players? Um, projectable value helps, but at the end of the day, after the first kick is completed, we need raw points. So does yeah. AT Perry have ceiling for 20, 25 points? Are there other players down below 4k that have better chance of hitting 20, 25 points. I would argue probably there are, we'll talk about some of those. Um, but I don't think that that discounts his viability in MME at all this week. So I don't mind that one bit. Um, yes, this is a, it feels like a very team gentleman stars and scrub legacy type week. Yeah. Um, let's just, let's just play AJ Brown with Tyree kill and Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara and see what we got. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> that can't be done. <laughs> so um, yeah. So 
that's kind of where I'm at. The other spot that I want to talk about for some potential projectable value here um, is in a fairly gross game environment. But you kind of know, if you've been around here, where we're going with this. And that's my dude, Mr. Greg Dorch. And he's probably an OWS dude. <laughs> OWS is enthralled with this guy when he gets snaps. And you look at, he has played over 70% of the offensive snaps nine times over the previous two seasons. Eight of those nine times, he has hit double-digit DK points. So that is at his salary. We're, we're talking about 3x salary multiplier already. And again, like we discussed, the it's a little bit different mindset when you're talking about these bottom feeders and salary. We need projectable value that helps, that helps to fit in these high-end salaried players. We At the end of the day, we need raw points. So does Greg Dortch carry the upside to hit 20, 25 fantasy points? All I'm looking at is when this dude sees snaps, he commands targets. And Michael Wilson was just ruled out earlier yep. today. So we can kind of think he played... For the first time this season, Greg Dortch played over Zach Pascal last week, which was good to see, has played 75%, 76% the offensive snaps. So this is a guy that very clearly has a path to threaten double-digit targets in this spot against a Pittsburgh team that has been, they're playing better on defense, but we're finally starting to see the Pittsburgh Steelers put up points and move the ball and do something with their offense. So to me, that kind of helps the case here a little bit for Greg Dortch. I think also in that same kind of sense, Marquise Brown has an established connect a connection with um, quarterback Kyler Murray. Um, Marquise Brown obviously is still dealing with that heel thing. We don't know how that's going, but I mean, 12 targets last week. Uh, yes, Kyler Murray is extremely inefficient, uh, but these are two spots where I think you can go smartly for some value. On the other side, are you at all interested in this running back duo for Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah, I I am a little bit, uh, you know, especially I think in some some larger field stuff. I mean, it's it's a bummer because it, I think it's probably trending towards to be like a 50-50 split. Uh, yeah. And we saw that and that's what makes it hard. But I mean, I, man, one of the first things I look at every week, I'm like, well, who's playing the Cardinals? Yeah, like who's playing the car every week? Because I mean, dude, they're just getting flooded. I mean, you saw Kyron Williams just cut, come off the shelf. I mean, they they have 300 yards to the Rams' backfield last week. I mean, they're 31st in you know yards from scrimmage allowed per game. They're all, and they always are negative game script. So they face 32 backfield touches per game. It's the most in the NFL. They also are bad against receiving backs. Like they aren't just bad against the run. They're 25th in receiving points allowed to running backs too. Uh, 31st in touchdowns allowed. 14 different running backs have scored double-digit PPR points against the Cardinals this year. Uh, they have not played 14 games. Uh, so, like, there is opportunity for both guys to get there. I think the biggest thing is, though, right now is that Jalen Warren it doesn't get any money touches. Like, yeah. he, has, he has three touchdowns this year. They're all from over 10 yards. They're out. They, Pittsburgh Steelers had one goal-to-go opportunity last week. Najee Harris, even under the new play callers, got that touch. He now has 10 touches in those situations compared to one for Jalen Warren this year. And that's kind of like the big thorn in Jalen Warren's like upside, right? Cause he's probably going to yeah. run more pass routes. He even has started to get kind of the edge and like the touch count, but like if he ain't going to score touchdowns or if we have to rely on him to score a long touchdown, it's hard, but it's hard to play a guy like that, even a great matchup. I mean, I, I want to be interested more than I, uh, uh, 
than I probably am. But like, that's it's kind of a bugaboo, right? Like, I wish I could play if I could play Pittsburgh running back as a position. Like, that guy's gonna smash this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think but that either of these guys get enough individual value, right? Like, do do, yeah. do one of these guys have a twenty point PPR game in them? Like, that's what's tough. Or do both guys get like fifteen? I think if in that discussion of raw points and ceiling, I think it's very clearly Jalen Warren who has a higher explosive run rate, who has the more explosiveness to his game. He has the more established pass game role. Um, when we're talking about raw points. That's kind of the profile that I'm looking for in a good matchup that can return something like 110 yards on the ground with a score and three catches for 30 yards um, at this price will be awesome. Um, it's He's going to have to do it on 14 to 16 touches probably, uh, but I think that is well within his range of outcomes here. So I would prefer Jalen Warren. I think he can be played in conjunction with a guy like Zach Moss, save the salary, spend it up at those wide receivers. If you want to go there this week, um, it's kind of my read on the situation. So I think you can play Jalen Warren, Greg Dortch together, save all the salary in the world uh, from this spot. And I think you are not sacrificing ceiling in doing so. Uh, any qualms with that? No, no. I mean, Dortch is definitely the clear, I think, like pay down volume guy uh in the in this game and you know like and the Steelers are going to be because you know you look at the Steelers last week and you you listen to Pat Fryermuth after the game and he talked about how they had watched some stuff about the Bengals and they attacked them to where like structurally the Bengals played defense like what a concept right what a yeah. concept it's amazing uh, <laughs> it's amazing how they have success and you know would say if they got if the Steelers are going to have religion here like they did last week it would be through this backfield right like this is where Arizona's just been getting bludgeoned and it could be a game where uh these backs just have 30 plus touches combined uh that's definitely I think well within the range of outcomes where like these guys it's like a 35 touch backfield like I said if we can play Pitt, Pittsburgh running back that guy is going to have an incredible game yeah that guy that guy messes <laughs> around with some fantasy man even if you could pay if you could tell me I had to pay both salaries combined where I think it's like, well, yeah, I'll 10, pay 10 K yeah. so 10, six to have Pittsburgh running back. I would do that. I would do that. Yeah. That's levy on bell. Just, yeah. Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> give me levy love bell in this spot. Um, awesome discussion. I want to quickly, instead of going to another game environment, I want to quickly talk about the state of the quarterback position on this slate, because as you alluded to, it's like, who are we paying up for? Are we paying up for Jalen Hurts in this spot? Are we going to CJ Stroud in this spot? The field probably is. Are we paying for Justin Herbert in the spot? No. So it's basically like Hurts, Stroud, and Tua that are these pay-up options on this yeah. slate. And we know Tua is going to garner ownership. He's playing the Washington Commanders. We had that discussion. But QB ownership is never anything you have to be scared of. Because wait, just so, one, it's never to the point where it's like so much of the field, and two, you always get unique through stacking. The one thing that I do look at as far as ownership at quarterback is where the field is spending their money. So I break the position up into like salary chunks and analyze like how can I exploit those tendencies of the field? So when we get a slate with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and uh, Jalen Hurts mm -hmm. and Justin Fields and Tua Tungvaluwa, when we get like a slate with all five of those guys, we know that the composite ownership of that tier of player is probably going to be somewhere between 40 and 50%. 
So that's where it's like, now I kind of know where the field is spending their salary. How do I exploit those tendencies? On this slate, it's basically like two is going to be owned and then who else up there is garnering ownership. In that discussion though, do we have other viable options? I think the first name is a guy we've already talked about is Brock Purdy in the mid range at 6,100. The field I feel like is going to go to Russell Wilson this week. I will not be doing that. (laughs) Um, Power to you. If you want to do that, I will not be doing that. So to me, it's very clearly like it's Tua, it's Brock Purdy. And then what, and do we have an, and then what piece this week? Are we playing Derek Carr? Without all of his pass catchers, probably not. So going all the way down here, and this is so gross, but I want to discuss it as a potential way to get different this week. Is this viable? Is Bryce Young viable this week? They're playing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that we know is one of the most pass funnel defenses in the league. And if we do go here, does it have to be paired with Adam Thielen? Rich, you go. No, I, I mean, hear your I don't think it has to be. You don't. If you're gonna punt like to this degree, right? If you're gonna, you don't have to stack. <laughs> He's putting it lightly for me. Thanks, man. I mean, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm not gonna play Bryce Young. I, I'm. I respect your hustle here, uh, but I will say, if you're gonna go to this degree, though, where you're punting quarterback to this, to this, degree, yeah. you do not have to stack him, right? Like, because if Bryce Young gets there, he's doing for your your roster what you intended for that that build to do, right? Like you, it's not like he has to, like someone has to drag him along the line. It'd be nice if it did, right? Like if you did pair him with Adam Thielen, but like Adam Thielen is a guy, I think you can make an objective case for him in this matchup too, but also Adam Thielen's price, even though it has dropped significantly over the past month is still in a price where like, he's still not, he's almost counterbalancing what you intended to do with your Bryce Young play is what I'm saying. So that's why I don't believe you have to stack him if you're going to do that. And, And this works out. Uh, I think that would be a mistake in a sense. Like it would almost hurt hurt what you intended to do, if that makes any sense, if I'm even phrasing that correctly. In my head, no, I know what does. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. When I look at analyzing a situation like this, I would almost say theoretically he must be stacked because again, at the end of the day, salary multiplier means very, very little at quarterback. So you need raw points and you need those raw points to at least keep you on pace or within striking distance of the payup guys. So that means we need going in, we need 25 fantasy points from Bryce Young. Can he do that? I don't know. <laughs> but I think the clearest path to him doing that is if Adam Thielen goes over 100 yards and scores one or two touchdowns. So to me, I want to be trying to minimize the variables and set myself up for success, even if it's a gross play like Bryce Young. If he's going to ever hit 25 fantasy points, it's probably going to come against a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who blitz a ton, who generate pressure at a below average rate, and who play a ton of cover one and cover three. Those two, against those two coverages, those base primary coverages, Adam Thielen is kind of the guy. So. I'm not going to say that like I'm for sure going here, but I just wanted to throw up on the screen what it would look like to play Bryce Young with Adam Thielen. Like it's viable. You can do this, I think. Um, and I I might just get crazy with this in a single entry <laughs> contest just to 
just to have some fun this week. I'm going to live a little uh, potential. I hear you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, that game environment to me just feels so bad. Uh, and then we have all the ter- all the stuff with uh, the changeover. And, and I love these com- comments, dude. I'm just going to throw some of these on the screen. Ooh, it's good. Good. I respect it, man. Uh, I can tell We're you the quor- up. <laughs> quarterback for me this week, I feel like I'm just playing three guys. I think I'm only going to have a yeah. three-man quarterback pool. It's going to be Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Brock Purdy. Yeah. From a single-entry mindset, that is – probably where i'm going as well i'm just being i love uh, it I, no, I love it i want uh, to your millie yeah. your millie team has been built now 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 you yeah. let the cat out of the bag it's getting copied someone's copying yes. you, you don't do me bro you have to split with someone now yeah um <laughs> this is it's at least interesting um it's at least interesting i wanted to throw it up there as a way um where what you need to go right is you need bryce young to throw for 250 and three can that happen? I don't know, man. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen against the Bucks. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I do think I would love for Bryce to get there, though. He needs a win. You know, uh, he's been dragged. This man through. needs something, dude. This he man needs, needs something. He we, does we have do. a three touchdown game. Took 41 pass attempts. Probably going to see something like that required again. Um, he needs 250 and three. <laughs> Can that happen? I don't know, dude. <laughs> Uh, but I, I thought to... you were gonna. I thought you were gonna flack on me for a minute. So at least I respect that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it looks kind of cute. I right? do think I some people might get the Kenny Pickett at, at two hundred more on DraftKings. Uh, I do think that that some people will get there. I think. I think you're right. Is Kenny Pickett viable? I don't. My immediate reaction is a gag reflex, but. Uh, you see, my, I think just like, well, last week we saw, I mean, when the Bengals didn't pressure, I mean, he was 24, 27 when he wasn't pressured, but my big concern is how much pushback do we get from the Cardinal side? Because yeah. even last week we saw the Steelers, if they're ahead, they're going to hand off a lot. They're going to run mm-hmm. them all off. hundred uh, so, percent. That's yeah, my that's one concern. concern, but I do think people will get to pick it. I think, uh, you know, maybe as a potential, you know, le- leverage off of the running backs that aren't going to be super popular, but people will play running backs because running backs are Cardinals. You have Deontay slot 5k uh, at, at DraftKings. who's like just kind of floating around there at that price all year. Um, kind of like Hollywood Brown, right? Like they just stay like priced in that spot. I'm going to take this off screen before we lose some viewers. Uh <laughs> <laughs> taking us out man we got a couple minutes left again we just blew through this hour uh i've seen some uh requests for an hour and a half two hour show man that would be uh i don't know if we could fit that in but that would be interesting yeah maybe Um, maybe next year we put i don't people don't know behind the scenes like we put this together in the 11th hour of the off season you and i had never even talked uh never you know we put it out uh together through jm literally like the week before the season so like we didn't even know how this show structure was going to be how it's going to work out obviously you and i have a very similar mindset the gel is there maybe there's an opportunity next year where we do like game breakdowns or something but just a peek behind the curtain of how this came to be i love it man i would be as long as we can fit it into our collective schedules here that sounds like a lot of fun because i love these jam sessions with you um in the last hour the last minute here um do you have any parting shots i you've nailed some like fade away Hail Marys here uh, throughout the season. So I want to hear if you have any this week. Uh, I mean, really, man, though, this one feels clear. Like the guys we want to play are on the table. Like it's just, can we, how do you get access to get them like in the same lineup together? Right. Like that's the the Rubik's cube of this weekend. Uh, I will say if you do decide to not play Zach Moss, Michael Pittman better be in all of those non Zach Moss lineups. (laughs) I love it. 
I love it. And even then, play them both, maybe. Uh, that might be a way to leverage. Uh, as always, man, that was awesome, Rich. Thanks for joining us. This was Searching for Ceiling Week 13 edition presented by One Week Season Sharp Football Analysis. There's links in the description for some discount stuff if you want to go check us out over there. Obviously, Rich is a primary contributor over at Sharp. I'm a primary contributor over at OWS. And with that, y'all, we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards. See ya. One Week Season.